The reality is I'll, I'll always have to struggle with food because it's unlike booze or drugs. You can't stop. <laughs> like you're not just allowed to stop eating. You know, you have to, you're always going to have to develop this relationship for food. Welcome back to the Beyond Macros podcast, a show where we teach you about how to get leaner, stronger, and perform your best through nutrition, training, and the art of inner work. We're back with a new season, and I have some changes I plan to make this time around. We will be continuing with the same straight-to-the-point format, but I am planning to test release a few Beyond Macros uncut episodes where you will get the full interview. I also realized that in the first 27 episodes... I only interviewed two women, so this season I have made a change to include a balance of female guests. We will also be releasing more video content, including video podcasts on our YouTube channel that will have a slightly different format than just a conversation. I will actually use the video shows to visually demonstrate what you are hearing on the show. Check out the show notes at beyondmacros.com slash 28, where we will have the new YouTube channel linked up so you can subscribe. There are already some valuable videos up there to help you understand how to calculate and count your macros. You can also check out beyondmacros.com slash macropod for our free complete guide to calculating and counting your macros. It includes a downloadable calorie and macro calculator worksheet with a video to help you through the process. We've updated this resource for 2018 to integrate new research and experience. Plus, we made it easier for all of our readers and listeners who are on the metric system to understand what the heck is going on when I say grams per pound. And here is what Beyond Macros client Lisa Pagano has to say about her experience working with a Beyond Macros coach. Life before Beyond Macros was inconsistent, both in the kitchen and the gym. During my time working with Matt at Beyond Macros, I have seen enormous changes in my overall eating habits, um, how I look at food. I've seen enormous changes in the gym, PR after PR. Um, I finally hit the 200 club for my back squat. Um, I was able to do lots of gymnastics work because my body was overall lighter and I was a lot stronger. Um, in the first, uh, one of the first cuts we did together, I was able to lose 15 pounds, which is really incredible. Um, I think long-term lessons that are going to stick with me are how to fuel my body and focus on me time. I think that's that's something that is really important when you try to maintain a job and a social life and a gym life and all of the things um, is to have the me time in addition to good eating habits. Enough housekeeping. Let's get into today's show. Today's guest is Ali Waddell. Allie is a badass, not because she's a scream in your face, look at how strong and perfect I am fitness professional. She is a badass because she is raising the conversation in the fitness industry by being authentic about her own struggles. When you put yourself on a pedestal, you're at a different level than your clients. So you're never going to be able to meet them where they are if they're coming at you thinking you're the guru. (laughs) You know, if you're the guru, they're never going to live up to it. 
you know, and because of that, they can never take personal responsibility to for their own lives because you're the one that's going to fix them. Um, and so my biggest thing is, is I'm only here as a facilitator and a mirror for you. I'm here to to be as supportive as possible, to be a cheerleader, to be your advocate, to kind of guide you and show you the different ways in which you can heal yourself. But the reality is you're the person. You're your wellness guru, period. And her struggles are relatable. I've experienced them. I work with clients who have experienced them. And that is why I want to just play Allie's story. Allie was a competitive swimmer from the age of five. Athletic, tall, blonde, And then she went to college. When I went to college, I stopped moving for the first time in my life. And I started drinking every day, which the combination of not moving and drinking is a dangerous one that many college students realize at some point. (laughs) And I actually, instead of gaining the freshman 15, I actually ended up gaining the freshman 50. I gained close to 50 pounds from July through December. So not even like a whole term. Um, And really, I think it was more than anything. I think it was my body's reaction to eating really bad food and drinking and that inactivity. And I was not never happy where I was in college, uh, at least where I started. And so I think it was just a combination, this kind of storm. And so my mom had dropped me off for school as like a size four, beautiful little blonde girl. And I got off the plane and not till years later, did she tell me that she didn't even recognize me and that she almost like broke out into tears when I got off the plane because I had chopped my hair off, dyed it brown. And I was close to 190 pounds, you know, like a size 16, you know, I'm a tall girl. I'm, I'm five, nine. And I, you know, I'm kind of a broad girl. So it wasn't like I was like morbidly obese, but for me, it was, (laughs) not even kind of bigger than I've ever been. It was like unimaginable. And I have two uh, great aunts who were beautiful when they were young and then ended up becoming morbidly obese into their old age. And my mom said at that moment, all she could think about was what if I was on a path that she couldn't help me to correct? And like I was down this road of struggling with my weight and, you know, gaining weight and this kind of unhealthy lifestyle that she was so terrified that I wasn't going to be able to correct. Um, and, and I think as a parent now, you know, being older, I can only imagine seeing that happen to your kid and be like, Oh gosh, I hope, (laughs) I hope we can kind of right the ship. And she handled it amazingly, really amazingly looking back now being a wellness professional, you know, she never even said anything. She just said, because at this point she was crazy fit. She was working out six days a week and was in really amazing shape. And instead of creating any kind of mind stuff with me, like what the hell has happened to you? She just said, Hey, I want you to come to the gym. Hey, I've been wanting to try the Adkins diet. (laughs) You know, maybe we can try it over Christmas break and see how it works. And that was the first time I'd ever set foot in a gym. You know, I was 18 years old and And there was an aerobics instructor who to me was an old woman who was probably what, 25, 27. But to me, I was like, whoa, look at that old lady, how strong she is. I was like, I wonder if I could be an old lady that was strong like that. And uh, 
so I started going to classes and we started cooking together and I always loved cooking. So, so really the nutrition part I was excited about because it allowed me to kind of use cooking skills that I had developed kind of my entire life. And in that time period over my Christmas break, which I think in college is about six weeks, I think I lost like 12, 12 to 15 pounds, you know, and it was this aha moment where I actually started to feel good and I started to feel good in my body. And I didn't, I thought it was like this magic secret. <laughs> I was like, holy moly. I was like, if other people knew about this, they might do it too. This is amazing. I was like, wow, when you work out, you feel so much better. Who knew? Cause it really was the mental part of it. I was like, man, I didn't realize how good you would feel working out. I never even really thought about it. Uh, and so I went back to college and I, and that, you know, basically I've worked out consistently since then. You might think the story ends there. Just find a love for cooking exercise and it's all rainbows and unicorns from there. But that message is shallow. There is depth to this story. As it turns out, this was just the beginning of Allie's struggles. She thought she was living in a fairy tale when she was swept off her feet by an older man who she ended up marrying. And then things went downhill. He was emotionally and verbally abusive, even going so far as to take pictures of her to show her how much work she needed on her body. To make matters worse, she was exposed to a group of friends who were into plastic surgery. She was always made to feel like she was never enough. And this started to take its toll. It very quickly turned into, you know, me being going to the gym and feeling great about it to me obsessing, obsessing about going to the gym and obsessively controlling my food. And we had a friend who was doing bodybuilding shows. So he was showing me how to measure my food and all of this stuff. But what I had realized is I had food was my food was my way to like completely check out food was my complete coping mechanism to numb. And, uh, because of that, I could never be thin enough. So I developed a adult onset eating disorder at the age of about 21. Um, and then ended up getting, interestingly, while I had that getting into the fitness industry and keeping that going as a secret for close to 15 years, you know, being at the highest end of the fitness industry, working with professional athletes, working at the University of Texas, you know, really trying to project this ideal of how I was and who I was. And I was this fitness person and I could help you, you know, get in shape and look great and feel great about yourself. But the reality was at home, I, I was a mess and, and nobody knew, you know, the, the most interesting part is the fact that I somehow really was good at keeping the secret. You know, my, my ex-husband didn't know my, none of my family knew. Um, and, and it was very cyclical for me. I would go through months or even a year where I would be super healthy and feel great. And then something traumatic would happen and I would go straight back into that negative patterning. Um, and the reality is that is still a struggle today. I don't binge and purge the way I do, but that mindset, that, that, those synapses that I fired together for so long are really strong and really good at connecting. When I get stressed, um, I turn to food really quickly. And if I don't 
keep my routine really, really good. If I don't have those people to call on that, that I have put in place that kind of help me stay aligned, you know, if I don't follow or use all the tools that I've developed over, you know, 20 years, uh, it's a slippery slope. Ali suffered alone for 15 years. And that pain is why she is so passionate about what she does and the messages she communicates. When I finally was able to to get on the other side of it and share with people what was going on, that's really where the connection with my clients and kind of my connection to an ability to tell stories and help other people share their stories has come from. It's only my transparency and my ability to own my story that, that has allowed me to really do that because forever I didn't want to have those deep conversations because God forbid you shine that mirror back on me and I have to just lie to your face. Ali realizes though that it wasn't just one single aha moment that led her down the path of opening up about her experience. And there's one final trial that led her to the path that she is on today. The interesting thing is there's multiple times where I told myself I was, uh, I was healed <laughs> And a lot of those times involved, nobody had ever had to know. <laughs> I was like, oh, great. Look, I healed myself. I'm completely fine. Nobody knew even better. Um, but the reality is you can't, you can't have secrets that big and shame that deep and be okay. Because you always know that it's there, even if you feel like you've gotten on the other side of it. And so the real turning point was, you know, I I'd moved out to California and my eating disorder had really flared up because I had gone to culinary school. And I'll tell you one place that a bulimic should not probably go is to culinary school. <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's not the healthiest environment for somebody who has a propensity to overeat. Um, but I had stayed in California and I was kind of in a relationship and I was in a job and I was in all these things that didn't just feel right. And I, and I had an on, on the knees moment actually, like in the gym working out by myself one time. And I just said, I, I can't do this. I can't live like this anymore. Something, something has to change. I, I just have to do something universe. I, I need something to help me do this. And again, interestingly, my mother stepped in out of nowhere and just sent me a book. You know, she knew that I had been struggling. She didn't know what I had been struggling with. And she sent me Bernays Brown's book, The Gift of Imperfections. And I really do see that as the turning point because Bernays' whole thing is like shame only lives in the dark. Like you have to speak your story. You have to own it. It's the only way for you to rewrite the ending is for you to own what has happened to you and not only own it, but actually be grateful because it has forged you in the fire and pulled out these greatnesses in you. So many times you see it over and over. It is actually your issues that become your superpower. But opening up and being vulnerable can be a really scary thing. And Ali realizes that. Here's some very grounded advice about how to approach the process. I think it really depends on how kind of severe that that bottling has been. For some people, it's not it's not as big a deal. You know, they haven't been holding these giant secrets. For other people, those are real heavy, big things that they have not spoken about. Um, so I think there's a kind of a different gradient. I, you know, 
for all of this. And one thing I, I like to always remind people is you sharing your story isn't emotionally throwing up on whoever will listen to you or on to the Facebook. <laughs> I'll just put that out there. Like, like that's not being vulnerable. That's emotionally flooding people. Um, and so really finding a trusted person. That's why I think coaching can be transformative for people. Sometimes the hardest people to tell are those that are closest to you, but those are the people that actually you can trust the most. And so if you feel like you're not at the point in which you can reach out to somebody specifically in your life, finding a third party to share that with, whether that be a therapist or a coach, can really help you to start to unpack and feel more comfortable sharing that. Another great way to start is to write it down, like write it in a letter or some kind of, you know, you could write it online, you could write it in an email and send it to somebody, you know, somebody close to you, somebody that's trusted, somebody that deserves your vulnerability that you know is going to be there for you. That for a lot of people is a lot easier um, than saying the words <laughs> for people. So... But more than anything, it really is the first time, especially if it's something big that you, that you need to clear, the first time is always the hardest. And I promise as soon as you say it once, it gets so much easier um, over time. Now, let's dive into some of the practices and philosophies from the superwoman. Allie likes to start her clients out creating a vision of what they want their future to look like. From there, she has her clients become aware of the patterns and blocks to begin identifying solutions to get there. What are these consistent things that have come up over and over in your life that are your barriers? What continually gets you off track? You know, what are the things that cause you stress, cause you anxiety? You know, what are those things? And then we go through and block and tackle each one of those and talk about what is the repatterning we can do on that thing. You know, for me, if I'm bored, I start eating. <laughs> like I'm just like a bored eater. And so I have realized if, if I start to eat, you know, if I'm like sitting on the couch, number one, why am I sitting on the couch? <laughs> is there, is there, am I, if, am I avoiding something I'm doing? But if I'm just going into the kitchen for mindless things, a lot of times I just have excess, excess energy. A good walk around the block, 10 jumping jacks. If, I, if I'm eating because I'm emotional, I set a timer for five minutes and I journal. The likelihood is after those five minutes, I'm not going to want to eat anymore. Or am I thirsty? You know, drink a glass of water, set a timer for 10 minutes. Are you hungry after that glass of water? Probably not. You know, there's these different tiny little tools that you can do that'll just start to repattern. Re You're just, uh, we're pattern driven animals. Most of the things we do all day long are, ju <laughs> are just habit. There's nothing else. We just have to change the habit. Uh, people try to make it really complicated and, and it is emotionally and mentally can get kind of complicated for why you're doing this stuff. But the repatterning stuff is just, it, it, I mean, it's like a science experiment. <laughs> you know, it's like, do this, do this, do this, do this. After a while, you don't have to think about doing it anymore. Anybody who's taught themselves how to do something new uh, understands that, you know, you've started running or whatever you've done. 
once you, once you're used to doing it, you don't think about it. And here's the realest thing I've heard another fitness professional say. This is the longest long game you have. This is your entire life. You have to do wellness. You're not going to figure it out and then it's done and then you never have to think about it again. Like you're going to get off track a lot, like all the time. (laughs) So instead of getting off track and then beating yourself up and getting so annoyed that you're off track again, you just have, it's, you know, it's the cycle of recommitment. Can you just start again? Just start again. Just start. You have to do this until you're a hundred years old. So like, who cares if you had a bad two weeks, like just start again. Like, don't be mad at yourself. Just go, okay, well that didn't work. <laughs> like, what was it that threw me off? Take it as a learning, you know, was it, I traveled and I wasn't paying attention to what I was eating. Was it stress? Was it a family issue? You know, did I not plan whatever it was, take a learning from that and then just get back on track. And then I also think it's this, you know, the repatterning part is small incremental changes. Like everybody wants this quick fix. Let's change everything all at once. And we're setting ourselves up for failure. It very rarely works like that. It's so much easier to just change one thing at a time. Breaking things down to simple habits to focus on one at a time is a massive driver of long-term change. And one of the biggest banes to getting started is that people look at fitness industry professionals who act like every day of their life is perfect and that that's the only path to health. That couldn't be further from the truth. If I could just get you to eat vegetables at every meal, that could be huge. And so meet people where they are as opposed to this ideal life of like you're only shopping at the farmer's market and you're going to yoga and you're meditating for two hours a day. There are very, that is a teeny tiny population of the planet that will ever be able to achieve that, you know? So let's just try to help people where they are as opposed to kind of these like perfectionism, I'll never be that um, idea that I think is so disheartening for so many people. I think we're, I think the wellness industry in general is doing a very big disservice most of the population by telling them that there's only these certain ways in which to be healthy as opposed to these like large block and tackle things that people could implement, you know, that could really help transform their lives. I just want to give a massive thanks to Allie for the conversation and being so open with her story. If you vibe with her message, you can find her at Ali Waddell Wellness on Facebook or AliWaddell.com. And she has an awesome email address, badass at AliWaddell.com. Next week on the show, I keep the female energy rolling in an interview with Dr. Megan Caden, who co-created the Art and Science of Connection course with Ms. Bahawk. She is a psychologist who practices AEDP, which we will dive into in the episode. And a fun fact is that she and her husband, Marcus Philly, actually used AEDP to strengthen their own relationship. Make sure you are subscribed to the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoy the show, please also leave a rating on iTunes. And if you want to get leaner, stronger, and perform better by learning how to count macros, check out the show notes at beyondmacros.com slash 28 or go to beyondmacros.com slash macropod to get our complete guide to calculating and counting your macros. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to seeing you again next week.